0: You're listening to audio from the Archive of Highland Baptist Church. For more information about Highland, go to hbcwaco.org. You may be seated. So glad all of you are here this morning. About 500 B.C., there was a terrifying, cruel ruler in the world. His name was Xerxes. In fact, Xerxes, his very name means the ruler of the heroes. And Herodotus, the historian, tells us a whole lot about Xerxes and his army, Uh, his Persian army, 1.7 million men strong. If you can imagine that in 500 B.C., to compare that to our U.S. military today, where we have 1.3 million men and women serving in the U.S. military. So 500 B.C., uh, Xerxes and his 1.7 million man strong army ruled the world except for one place except for Greece. And Xerxes so desperately desired to conquer Greece that he sailed across the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, Xerxes wanted to revenge the death of his dad. You might know him. He's from the Bible, King Darius. King Darius was killed at the hands of the Greeks, and so he desired to go to Greece and to conquer all the known world, especially that nation. Well, there was a man, you may recognize his name as well, King Leonidas, uh, who was overseeing the military of Greece at that time, and he called together his army of 300 Spartans to defend Greece. Uh, Xerxes and his army crossed the Mediterranean, and the only way they could get to to Greece and to the army of Leonidas was through the Valley of Thermopylae. And so there in that small little valley, Xerxes tried to squeeze his army through, On the other side of the valley was Leonidas, the other side of that small little entranceway was Leonidas and his three hundred men. And as the army of Xerxes tried to squeeze their way through that valley and they came out just a few people at a time, Leonidas was there with his three hundred Spartans and killed the men one after one after ten after a hundred after a thousand. Eventually Xerxes' armies regrouped, and Xerxes called together his prime battle group called the Immortals, 10,000 called the Immortals. And they went through the Valley of Thermopylae, and there they did not live up to their name because Leonidas and his 300 killed 4,000 of the Immortals of the ruler Xerxes' army. Well, eventually a traitor came upon the scene. Uh, His name was Ephialtes, and Ephialtes found a back route around the Valley of Thermopylae and led Xerxes' army around there to to conquer Leonidas and his 300 Spartans who eventually were killed at the hands of Xerxes and his Persian army. Well, back up another 600 years before the time of Xerxes and Leonidas and substitute out Thermopylae for a mountain called Moray and substitute Leonidas for a man by the name of Gideon, but you take those same 300 men except Gideon's men were victorious, And we find our story this morning. With your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 7. Let me just tell you this morning, after a great three-week break where Kyle Dunn so wonderfully opened up God's Word to us, we're back in our series of the conquerors. Let me make this statement to you again. We will either be conquered by life, or we will be conquerors in life through the power of God. All of us here today will either be conquerors in life, or we'll be conquered by life And so I pray this morning that you and I learn what it means to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. With your Bible, turn with me, please, to Judges chapter 7. Let's begin in verse 1 together this morning. It's a great narrative. If you grew up in church, you've heard this story before. If you have not heard this story before, it's a great, true story. Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel. You might remember that that's Gideon. He was given that name uh, when he tore down the altar made to Baal. In fact, Jerubael means the one who will have to contend with Baal. Early in the morning, Gideon and all of his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of More. The Lord said to Gideon, "'You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands.'" In order that Israel may not boast against me, their own strength has saved her. Announce to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now, let me give you a little context here. At this point, Gideon only has 32,000 people. The Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east, they have 135,000 people. And so I'm certain that Gideon, the leader that he is, was already weighing out the odds here, and it's already against him four to one. And here they are camping out at the springs of Harad. I find it kind of ironic that the term Harad in Hebrew means terror, or filled with fear. So here they're camping by this spring called full of terror and and full of fear. I'm not real sure I to drink from a spring called the Spring of Terror. But, but they were camped around this spring or this water, uh, this well of, of terror, this well of Harad. And God says, I know it's already four to one, Gideon, but you have way too many men. You have way too many men for me to deliver Israel out of the hands of Midian. Make sure you understand that this was not God saying, Israel, you don't have enough men for you to deliver yourself God was saying, Israel, you have too many men for me to deliver you out of the hands of Midian. So he offers, if anybody wants to turn back, you can leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. I've never thought God was that good at math, and I'm certain Gideon was thinking the same thing at this point. Wait a minute, God. We just had 22,000 people leave, and you're saying again, the odds are now like 13 to 1. I have about 10,000 people left, 10,000 men left, and you're saying I still have too many men. Yes, God says, there are still too many men, so take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. And if I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. And three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees, plural, to drink. We'll stop right there. If you have notes this morning, you should have found them. Inside of your bullet to have some teaching notes for us to follow along together uh, this morning. I want us to talk about the fear that we see in men here in Judges chapter 7 verses 1 through 6. Let me make this statement. You see this in your notes. The fearful and the self-centered, uh, self-centered aren't disqualified, but in the Bible they are rarely selected. I'm not saying if you're, if you're a selfish person and you're always filled with fear that God's going to disqualify you, but we do see, especially the Old Testament, that those who are fearful and those who are always self-centered and worried about their own lives only, they are rarely selected by God. Let's talk about the selfish first, because if you do the math here, about 9,700 men were selfish, if you will, in the way that they drank the water from the springs, of Herod. Let me describe to you this morning why I believe that they were selfish in getting down on both of their knees or perhaps even laying down on their bellies and drinking from the water with their tongues like a like a dog when you drink in the river like that your whole body has to has to go down. If you're a soldier that means your armor goes down with you, your sword goes down with you. It does not leave you in a position of preparation to fight. So it would be a selfish thing for you and your fellow men from the army, for you to lay down on the ground or to get down on both your knees with your armor on and your sword to the ground, for you to be a prepared soldier. Perhaps that's why God cleared those 9,700 men out because of their self-centeredness. Perhaps also it's that when you drink in the river like that, like a dog, you take your eyes off of the approaching enemy. You're no longer watching. You're no longer able to see an enemy who might come over the horizon or an enemy who might come over the hill. It would be a very selfish thing for you to take your eyes off of the horizon. Perhaps your enemy would come at that point. Another reason perhaps we can see this morning that these men would be selfish, these 9,700 men, is because to drink in the river, you have to go down and drink as much as you want, but to cup from your hand, you only drink a measured Amount. 9,700 of the 10,000 men went down on their bellies or went down on both of their knees and took their eyes off the enemy and made themselves unprepared for an approaching enemy and perhaps also showed their selfishness in drinking as much as they could as opposed to a measured amount in the cup of their hand. But you think 9,700 selfish sound like a lot. How about 22,000 fearful men? who were given the option if you'd like to go home because you're afraid you go home and in my mind's eye I can almost see these men going, "Phew. I'm going to drop my sword and I'm just going to go home because I'm fearful." 22,000 of the men returned home. I'll put this in your notes for you. God's rules for warfare allowed the fearful to return home. Why? Because fear is contagious. Fear is contagious. I've been in church long enough, perhaps many of you have been in church long enough to know that fear can be as contagious as love is. Fear can be as contagious as grace is. A uh, fear can be as contagious as cynicism is and here in God's rules for warfare he lays out this great rule if you're afraid just go home because fear is contagious I want to show that to you scripturally look on the screen behind me at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20 verse 8 let me read this to you this is Moses speaking to the people of God and he said and the officers shall speak further to the people And they will say, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house. Why? Lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. I tell you, church, fear is contagious. But so is hope. Cynicism is, is contagious, but so is encouragement. And so is grace. And listen, so is faith. And we see here that Gideon stands before his people it says, if you're afraid, just, just go home. I do not want your fear to become contagious among the ranks of the soldiers that I have camped here ready to fight the Midianites. Let's read on in Judges chapter 7, verse, verse 7. So the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped and went down, uh, got, got the water into their hand and lapped it out of their hand, I will save you. I will save you, God says. And I will give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. And so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites back to their tents, but kept the 300. If you're a mathematician, we're now down to the odds of 450 to 1. We've got 300 Israelites to 135,000 Midianites, and Malachites and the sons of the eastern people. So Gideon took the rest of the Israelites to their tents, sent them there, Kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. And now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Stop right there. I want you to see this in your notes as well. Gideon led both the courageous and the selfless into battle. I would say to you today, friends, those are the same people that God loves to choose in his kingdom as leaders as servants, as warriors for for God, those who are filled with courage and those who are selfless in nature. Those are the 300 men that Gideon had left to go into battle against the Midianites. God has stripped away everything else. In fact, I might say that God has stripped away all the other confidence that the Israelites could have had except for those 300 men. And Highland, I believe God does the same thing today. I wrote this in your notes for you as well. God will often strip away things that produce a false sense of confidence so that God alone becomes our confidence. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of others. Perhaps you've seen it in your own life as well. Sometimes God will pull away our health so that our confidence is only found in him. Sometimes God will pull away close friendships that we have with others. Why? So that we can find our sole confidence in God. Uh, We see that here. God pulled away other people so that those 300 would find their confidence only in God. Perhaps sometimes God will pull away our abilities or pull away a job or pull away our position because we have found a false sense of confidence in the things of this world. And God will often take us to a place where he'll have to say, I'm taking away everything else so that you might find your sole confidence in me alone. And I believe that's what's happening here in the life of these 300 men and in the life of Gideon as well. Judges chapter 7, verse 9, let's pick it up again. This is really, I think, one of the greatest parts of this whole passage here. Chapter 9, verse 11, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, wake up, and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. And if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. And afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So I, I love this part. God says, Gideon, when I found you, you were kind of fearful. And if you're still afraid, I'm going to give you an option. You can go down to that camp. If you are afraid, you go down to that camp and listen to what they're saying. If you are afraid, and I love this part. And so he and Pura went down. <laughs> in other words, yes, God, I'm, I'm terrified. You asked me if I wanted to go, I could go. If I was afraid, I am afraid. So my, my servant and I, we're going to go down to the outpost of the camp. I have heard it incorrectly said before that God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but a God of compassion in, in the New Testament. That's not true. God is a God of wrath and justice and love and compassion in the Old Testament. And he's a God of wrath and justice and love and compassion in the New Testament. God didn't change. And I believe we see right here this real tender, compassionate part of God. Because he looks down to his servant. And he says, if you're still afraid, if you're still nervous, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to encourage you with some words that you're going to hear being spoken about you in the camp the Midianites. And I just want to stop right here and give a real practical word to every person here today, especially if you're discouraged today, or you come in today with a personal crisis in your life, or if you're here today and things have just seemed overwhelming to you this week, and here's what I wrote down for you, especially this, t- this morning, never underestimate God's ability to personally lift you up when you're going through difficult times. Amen. Never underestimate God's not only ability, but his desire to encourage you during discouraging seasons. Never underestimate God's desire to to lift you up and to speak life and to speak strength and to speak courage into your life at one of your very lowest points. And that's exactly what God is doing here in the life of Gideon. He's saying, Gideon, I understand you're still fearful. I understand it's a 450 to one odds now as you and these 300 men are going up against this army of 135,000 people. And so if you need some encouragement, I'm going to encourage you. This is not a timeout in the sermon. But I want everyone to hear this very clearly about the character of God. He cares about you. And he cares about your struggles. And if you have a major decision to be made this week, can I tell you, God cares about that decision. God cares about your life. God cares about your families. Moms and dads, God cares about your kids. And one of the most encouraging things to my wife Jennifer and I, when we pray for our kids and we display a hope, love, unconditional love toward our kids is that God loves my two kids more than we do. And God loves you more than you even love yourself. God cares about our lives. And here we see this compassionate tender-hearted character of God to his soldier, to his warrior, to his conqueror, Gideon. You can see the compassion and kindness of God. Let's continue because we see how that kindness unfolds. Look at verse 12 with me. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled into the valley. They were as thick as locusts, and their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. This, by the way, is the very first um, battle in the Bible where camels are used. Amen. I figured that would bless your heart. This is the very first battle in in, in the Old Testament where camels were, were used. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Okay. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. And he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Now you may have missed it in that narrative just then, but church, we see the beautiful sovereignty of God in this story. In this part of the narrative right here, we see the incredible specific sovereignty of God. Can I show you very quickly where we just saw the hand of God all over the story? First of all, write down in your notes the word direction. In God's sovereignty, he directs our lives. In God's sovereignty, he directed the life of of Gideon. Just consider this with me. There were thousands upon thousands of tents that Gideon could have gone to, but he went to the one tent where the man was having a dream. Of the thousands and thousands of tents we have just seen here, they're like locusts everywhere. There are tents everywhere. There are camels everywhere. Of the thousands and thousands of tents that Gideon could have gone to, it was the sovereign hand of God that directed Gideon to that one tent where that one dreamer was. Highland, listen. God directs our lives. We can make our own decisions, but it is God who establishes our steps. And we see right here that God, by his sovereignty, has directed Gideon to the exact place. Verse 13, that that one place, just as that man was telling that man his dream. Number two, I want you to write this word down, protection. In the sovereignty of God, not only does he direct us, he protects us as well. I don't know if you caught this, some of y'all who've been in the military before, perhaps you did catch this back in verse 11. Do you see where Gideon went? back in verse 11, I want you to go down to the camp. And so he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Now you military men and military women know this. That's the most fortified place of the camp is the outpost. It's where there's soldiers there on watch looking for any movement, especially thinking that perhaps Gideon might attack in a surprise attack at nighttime. And where does God not only direct Gideon, but then protect Gideon, Gideon on the outpost of The camp. He went directly to the outpost, protected by the hand of God. Highland, listen, not only does God direct us, God protects us as well. Number three, here's the sovereignty of God, the right timing. It was the right timing. In God's sovereignty, he brings things to us in the right timing under his hand. Now, the NIV says right here, and I often don't say this, but the NIV, I think, gets this really well right here, actually. In verse 13, it says, Gideon arrived just as a man was sharing his dream. I think if you have the ESV or the King James Version, also perhaps the New American Standard, it says, and behold, a man was giving his dream. In other words, the perfect timing. So you've got thousands and thousands of tents. God directs him to the right tent. That's his direction. You've got all these people watching for a surprise attack on the outpost, and God protects him as he goes to this outpost. Gideon comes to the tent, and he's listening on the outside of this tent at just the right timing under the sovereignty of God. He walks up just as the dreamer was sharing his story, not a minute too soon, not a minute too late. That's the sovereignty of God. And he puts there, number four, the right people. That's the sovereignty of God in our lives direction, protection, right timing, and right people. You have there the dreamer and the interpreter. I think it says the interrupter on your notes. I think I misspelled that when I typed out your notes this week. But it should be the interpreter, not the interrupter, but the dreamer and the interpreter there. So just catch this. God slips a dream into the mind of the guy in the tent at the right time when Gideon comes to that tent, that dreamer is explaining his dream. So Gideon is is directed to the right people. God's sovereignty does that. Directed to the right people, directed to a dreamer. And how about this? Not only a dreamer, but someone who actually interprets the dream correctly. So Gideon is outside of this tent under the direction of God, under the protection of God, under the right timing of God, brought to the right people of God to hear the dreamer give a dream and the interpreter to interpret it correctly. And Gideon hears the dream about this large loaf of bread rolling into the tents and destroying all the tents and causing them to collapse. And what God was doing here, also number five, was giving him the right words. Those were just the words it needed to hear and brothers and sisters I'm telling you that's the sovereignty of God the protection of God the direction of God the right timing of God the right people of God and have you seen this in your life I see it over and over again right when you need a good word from the Lord the Lord gives you a good word and here, a good word is heard because Gideon's afraid. That's already been determined. God said, if you're afraid, go down to the camp. Gideon says, I'm afraid. I'm going down to the camp. He goes there and he hears these things outside of this tent, and we see the sovereign hand of God. It was a good word. This can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon. The, the, their God is going to give the Midianites and the whole camp into our, to the hands of the Israelites. Gideon heard that dream and worshiped God continue to read here now in verse 16 the rest of the narrative. So dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. I don't know why that makes me laugh. That just does not sound like military battle to me, military equipment to me. Here, let me give you a torch, and you know, God bless the trumpet players, Tim, but I'm not sure I want a trumpet to carry with me into battle, correct? Here's a trumpet, and here's here's some jars, and and here's here's a light. Go get them, right? You know, 300 of you go charge that camp with a torch and with a trumpet and with these empty jars. Watch me, he told them, verse 17. Follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Perfect time. Just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. And then grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpet they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their Swords. Amen. I love that story. What in the world is happening with a torch and a trumpet and an empty jar? Have you noticed God always gave the Israelites the craziest instruments for war? Hey, here's a jar. Good luck. Hey, march around the city seven times. Good luck with that hey, let me cause the sun to stand still for 24 hours. The Israelites, we rarely see them fighting with spears. In fact, remember, they don't even know how to make iron instruments. Only the Philistines knew how to, knew how to make the, the iron uh, weapons of warfare. Why is it that God gave them such silly things as torches and trumpets and empty jars, I think, is to prove that the battle belongs to the Lord and not to the people of God. That the battle belongs to to the Lord, I wrote this in your notes. The three weapons of gideon 's warfare are actually this is good three weapons of our spiritual warfare. The things that Gideon gave his men and told his men to do they 're really not instruments of warfare in the old testament and they 're not instruments of warfare today, but really what's happening is that Gideon was laying out for us. God was laying out for us the three weapons of our spiritual Warfare. What's the first weapon that we see here? The weapon of light. The weapon of light. God gave Gideon the instruction to hand his men these torches. In the same way, New Testament Christian, in our spiritual fight, day in and day out, we've been given a weapon from God. The weapon is light. I gave you some scriptures here in your notes, and I'll just read them to you very quickly. You see on the screen behind me, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six, for God. Who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian here today, you've been given light and it comes through Jesus Christ and we live in a very dark world and we battle very dark forces as believers in Christ and Jesus has given us light God has given us that weapon of light through the face of Christ Jesus how about Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 so that you may become blameless and pure Children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine. Here's our word that light you shine like stars in the universe as we do what? As we hold out the word of life. Christian, you've been given a weapon. You've been given a weapon for the spiritual war that we are in as a weapon of, of light, and we hold it out as we hold out God's Word, as we hold out the Word of life, as we hold out the Word of truth to us. You and I shine like stars in the universe, even in a wicked and depraved generation. What else have we been given as a weapon? We've been given the weapon of proclamation we have been given the weapon of of proclamation. Did you see that? Look back into your Bible. Look at Judges chapter 7. Look at the very end of of verse 18. They were to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Look at the very end of verse 20. Uh, They were to shout out a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. That was the proclamation. That was a part of their warfare to proclaim, to shout, or to, to blow those trumpets. And they were to blow the trumpets and make these declarations in the same way, New Testament Christian, you and I have been given the weapon of proclamation. Let me share this with you. From First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, there's the proclamation from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has also gone forth. It has been proclaimed everywhere so that we, Paul says, we need not say anything. In other words, the the men and women of Thessalonica, they had proclaimed their faith in Thessalonica. They had proclaimed the gospel in Thessalonica. That became a part of their warfare so that Paul said, we don't even need to say anything at this point because you have heralded out the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout Macedonia and Achaia. How about Revelation chapter 12, verse 11? This is a part of your warfare, church, part of the weapons God has given you, and they have conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of our testimony. That's the power we have, Christian. It's the power we have in the spiritual battle that we are in. We can proclaim the gospel. We can proclaim the fact that we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, and it is a part of our testimony. That is how those in the book of Revelation conquer the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and the proclamation, the word of their testimony. Third and last thing, if you're getting sleepy, wake up for this. What's the third weapon? This is good. This is good. Promised victory. I believe that's the greatest weapon we have, church. We've already been promised the victory. Did you see that? It's over and over again. This is kind of what makes me identify a little bit with Gideon. God had already told Gideon, I'm going to win this battle for you. I'm going to win this battle for you. I'm going to win this battle for you. Then he says, if you're afraid, go down to the camp. And Gideon goes, I'm still afraid. So he goes down to the camp. I mean, over and over again, God already promised him the victory. You want to see it with me? Just jump back real quick to chapter 7. Jump back real quick in your notes to to verse 2. God has already said, you have too many men, so in order that Israel may not boast against me in their strength, that I have saved her. God has already come to the point where he's saying, I'm going to save you, but you have too many men because I'm going to do this. I will save you. Look down to verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men, I will save you. So the victory has already been promised to Gideon. If you want to see it one more time, look at verse 15 of, of chapter 7. When Gideon heard the dream, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp, and even this time, Gideon is saying it out loud. Get up, because the Lord has given, has given the past tense, has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And Christian, I want you to know something. If you're discouraged today and feeling down today and feeling defeated today, if you're in Christ Jesus, good, good news for all of you. You have already been promised victory through Jesus Christ. Can I show that to you biblically this morning as well? First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 on the screen behind me. But thanks, be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how about 1 John chapter 5, verses 4-5? through 5? You see on the screen behind me as well. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is? is the Son of God, and all God's people said, amen. That is the weapon of a believer in Jesus Christ. We have promised victory already. Christian, you're in a battle. You may not be aware of it every day, but you probably experience it every day. You're in a spiritual battle. It's a battle for your life and for your soul. Not a believer here today, there's a battle over you as well. I would encourage you to surrender to Jesus Christ today do you need life you'll find it in Jesus need a church home we'd love for you to plant your life here with us would you bow your head and bow your heart with me please as we pray father thank you for the life of Gideon we identify with him even though we've been promised victory we often find ourselves very fearful Father, I pray this morning that we would see our spiritual warfare weapons as being light and proclamation and promised victory. Father, I pray this morning that we would see your hand of sovereignty in our lives this week, just as Gideon saw it in his life. God, that you're a God of perfect direction, a God of perfect protection a God who in your right timing will lead us to the right people that we might hear the right word. We praise you this morning, oh God, that you're a sovereign God, the God over all creation, the God over our lives, the God over the church. And Father, this morning we submit ourselves and yield ourselves to you. Father, we do not want to be selfish, fearful people. For fear and selfishness is contagious within an organization, even within the body of Christ. But God, we want to be women and men of faith. Women and men who are not self-centered, but who are selfless. Those are the men and women you choose to use boldly in your kingdom. So Father, we lay down our fear this morning. We lay down our selfishness we lay down the fact that we see everything through the filter of how it affects our own lives and as we lay those things down we lift up the name of Jesus today as we desire to be conquerors through the name of Christ Jesus it is in that name that we pray joyfully and with great faith this morning amen and amen